Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18 this evening. So as I said this morning, we're in the section of uh, the beginning of Jesus' earthly ministry. And we saw this last uh, prophecy in 12 through 17. And then in 18 through 22, we see Jesus call His first disciples. And He'll call others as we go along through Matthew. Uh, here we, we see Him call Simon Peter, Andrew... James and John, and then Lord willing, the week after Easter, we'll finish up chapter 4, and then we'll get into the Sermon on the Mount the following week, and then expect a slow, slow pace. We're going to be going, I'm going to try not to be like a snail through 5, 6, and 7, but there's just so much in those three chapters five, six, and seven. But with that, let me read 18 through 22. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So, first thing I want us to notice, take note of, As Jesus begins His ministry, He doesn't do it as a lone ranger. He doesn't take off to do what He has to do by Himself. Now, there are things He is on a mission that only He can accomplish. It is only Jesus, the God-man, who could live this perfect righteous life, go to the cross die a sacrificial death, and raise from the dead. His disciples ain't helping him do that at all. That is only capable by God. However, the other part of his mission is to build his church. And this is where his disciples come in. This is why he calls his disciples. Um, He needs his disciples to build this church because guess what? After his resurrection, he leaves and he's building his church on earth. So he is calling people, he is calling his saints to accomplish this task. Now let's, we're going to go through some passages to help us think through this and to see how Jesus uses His disciples, which includes us, as we'll see as we go through a few of these passages. So be ready to start turning. Let's go at, to John chapter 14. And we will work our way to the right for, with a few of these passages. 
So why is Jesus, how is Jesus going to use his disciples? Well, as I said, he's going to leave. In John 14, he says in verse 2, In my Father's house are many rooms. If I were not, if there were not, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, um, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And Thomas is like, well, can't we go? Can't we go with you? And he's, no. Because he has work for them on earth. And look what he says in verse 12. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Now, we're not talking about the cross. We're not talking about the works of salvation. We're talking about the works of building the church. Exactly. And greater works than these will he do, because I'm leaving. He's implying he's sending a helper. And that's what we get in these next few verses. He's leaving his disciples to continue his work by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now here are a few ways that this has worked out. Look in chapter 17 of John. Verse 20. The high priestly prayer. So this is assumed on Thursday night during Holy Week. What we're, we're observing this week. The night of his betrayal and arrest. John 17, 20, he's praying to the Father and he's prayed so far for his apostles that are there. But then in verse 20, he changes it up and he says, I do not ask for these only, Jesus to the Father, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. So he's leaving, but he's leaving the apostles to send forth the word. So that others will believe. So the kingdom, the church will expand. Now look, and then we'll see some examples of this. First or chapter 20. Here is John fulfilling what Jesus was praying. John chapter 20, verse 30. So when Jesus left, his intentions weren't to just It's not hocus-pocus, snap a finger, throw fairy dust, and the kingdom's built. No, he's using people. He's using those whom he's called. Now look what John says. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. John is writing so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So do you see what Jesus has done? Jesus calls John. Jesus equips John. Jesus gives John the Holy Spirit. He um, gives him the words to write. John writes about the works of Jesus, and therefore people believe and the church grows. This is what he calls disciples for. Now, and then in the next chapter, uh, I'll I'll just paraphrase, when Peter and Jesus are kind of having this back and forth, 
essentially, Jesus tells Peter, feed my sheep. So, as the church is growing, there are parts of the church who have a specific role of feeding the sheep, of ministering to the body. All right, so again, another part of Jesus using disciples for his kingdom. Now, turn over a page to Acts chapter 1. Now, I know I'm getting redundant, but I'm just wanting to make sure we're, we're seeing this. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus about to ascend, and the, the apostles ask him in verse 6, uh, Will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he's like, Nope, I got a different plan. Verse 8, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, in Salem, in Jeep, in Viola, in Fulton County, in Baxter County. You are my witnesses, and you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is a disciple. This is why he calls disciples. So you can imagine, you could imagine, you know those like diagrams where you have one person and then they make two people and then those two people make four people and those four people make eight people? That's discipleship. That's the avenue, that's the method that God has intended for his church for people to spread the gospel to other people. And not just in proclamation of the gospel, but as, as the Great Commission says, Jesus tells them to teach them to observe all things that I have commanded. So it's not just we're giving them the gospel so that they're saved, but we as the church, founded on the gospel, on the word of God, are then teaching those who come in, not just that they need to be saved, but how to be a Christian, how to be a disciple. So that's the whole point of a disciple, is you are someone... See, Jesus didn't make up this term, disciple. This was something that... So Plato, uh, Aristotle, Socrates, I don't whatever the order was, they were disciples of one another before Jesus had ever lived, like literally... One was, a, uh, one was a teacher and the other was a disciple. That, that, that was a thing. That's the process. Um, and that's what Jesus is calling Peter and uh, Andrew and John and James is to be a disciple, a follower, a learner of Jesus. If you notice, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's, let's think, let's look at two passages to think about how this idea works among us and not just, you know, we're not writing books of the Bible like John did. We're not making these huge uh, uh, acts of revelation with Scripture. So how does this affect us? Go to 1 Thessalonians. And then after we look at these two, and we'll go back to Matthew. 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 1. So after you go past... Uh, Philippians, Colossians, you got your T scriptures, Thessalonians, Timothy, and Titus. 
And we're going to be in Thessalonians 1. And I just want you to see in verse 6. Paul writing to the Thessalonians. And he says something interesting. He says, And you became imitators of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. That's discipleship. Following someone today who follows Christ. Learning from someone who has learned from someone about Christ. This is the pattern. And so initially, that that tree, it didn't start with Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It started with Jesus. And He taught them. And they taught the next group. And on and on and on. This is what it means to be a disciple. All right, now, what is it... What does that look like for us? Keep turning to the right to Titus chapter 2. It is a big tree. Revelation says it's in, it, the number is uncountable. Yeah. Cannot wait for that day. Look at Titus. So Thessalonians, Timothy, Titus. Chapter 2. What does this look like? Discipleship, being a disciple amongst the church, it can take a lot of different forms, but this is like the most practical way Scripture lays it out. Starting in verse 1. But as for you, Titus, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Now it gets real specific. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and steadfastness. All right? Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. Now, that's how older men and women should behave as followers of Christ. Now, here comes the discipleship. Verse, the end of verse uh, 3. They, older women, are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children. They are to train and teach these young women to be self-controlled, to be pure, working, at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. It sounds a lot like what Brother Dan is telling us in Proverbs with teaching our children. But we're just not talking about to children. I'm talking about older women to younger women. Teaching. These things. Now, and he goes on, verse 6. Likewise, urge the younger men. Who do you think is going to be urging the younger men? The, the older men. Urge the younger men to be self controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be com- uh, condemned. That's, that's part of being a disciple. 
the older, the wiser, the saltier, the holier. I don't want to say that to give you a big head, but the older you are in Christ, and I don't mean I'm not, you could be 90 and be a babe in Christ. But for those who are mature in Christ, have a responsibility to teach the immature in Christ. That's, that's how the church grows. That's how the church is equipped. That's how the kingdom has grown. Alright, now back to Matthew chapter 4. See, the church is going to grow through the saints, through the members of the body of Christ, all on the foundation that Christ laid, that the Word of God is built on. Alright, now, again, we see that when Jesus calls them in verse 19, He said to them, follow me. And we've already, I've, I've kind of ran this point home, but I just want you to see it again. When he says, follow me, I looked at the, inner, the Greek interlinear, and it says literally, come follow after me. So as he walks up to Peter and, and, and Andrew, he says, come follow after me. And he walks away. What is he expecting them? To literally follow behind him. That's the language he's using. That's what he wants them to do. So when we moved into our new house, I was pulling, uh, pulling off, I think, all the old baseboards. And I didn't realize it, but Shep was behind me watching me. So I'm down on the ground, you know, just with a hammer and something else. And he's watching me. I don't know it. Then the next thing I know, he's sitting beside me trying to... He found him a hammer, and he's trying to pull off the baseboards. That's what Jesus said. (laughs) Yep. He said, said, follow after me. And when you do that, learn from me. Imitate me. Do as I do. Now, we have to understand, this is why you are called to be like Christ. When we are all called to be like Christ and we are made more into the image of Christ, do you know who gets the glory? Christ. Christ. That's the point. Uh, Yeah. So, come and follow after me. Imitate me. Watch me. Stay close, but watch at a distance. Now here, I want to suggest this too. Um, Regardless of your life circumstances, your children, grandchildren, where you work, uh, regardless of anything, you, people are always watching you. Always. And if they know you're a follower of, of Christ. Are they seeing and being influenced by you imitating Christ? 
So we might get into, you know, like our example this morning with uh, young men at school or, or people at work. We may get into areas in our life where, you know, we don't go to church with any of these people. You know, they're not going to go and tell mom and dad or, you know, that, I know th- that those guys don't know my wife. That you may feel like you're in a safe space to not imitate Christ, but you are representing Christ in those areas and in those times. And as I told little Evie the other day, just because you get away with it within the people, you never get away with it before the Lord. So you're always influencing someone. Now, for us who have kids and grandkids, you have to keep that in mind. You have to keep that in mind. They are watching us. They are imitating us. And let me also say this. They are also watching and imitating people outside of the home. And so my suggestion is, you make sure that you are imitating Christ in the home. So that when they see and have poten- and can potentially be influenced outside the home, those two things collide and don't match. So we have to always be mindful of our influence at home in front of our kids and grandkids. Um, read Deuteronomy 6 this week. And see what it looks like to influence your children at home. Deuteronomy 6 is the Shema. Um, and it's pretty much raise your household always thinking and considering God. No matter what you're doing, where you are, consider the Lord. Deut- it's in Deuteronomy 6. Just take, go, go ahead and read that this week. Okay, uh, let's move on. So he's called them and he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, I haven't addressed that directly, but do you see what we're discussing here? It isn't follow me and learn. While it is, he does want them to learn. He's teaching them how to fish, how to catch men. He's teaching them so that they may go, proclaim the gospel, teach those who believe to observe all that Christ has commanded so that others may follow. So here's the cycle. A disciple, you've got the, you've got the, the master or the rabbi, the teacher, and then you have a disciple, and they come and follow and learn. Well, here's typically what happens when that First one gets older and, you know, he retires. Then you have these who have learned, and now they go, and they now have disciples. So that is, you know, master, they call Jesus rabbi, teacher. That's the idea of being a disciple. So, basically, we are called disciples in Scripture. And if we don't fit that mold of We've been made a disciple, but we have not made disciples. And I don't mean that you're going out and converting everyone and you're, you're the greatest evangelist. 
I mean you're not participating in this process of, of proclaiming the gospel, but also teaching, modeling older women for, for, to the younger, the mature men to the immature men. You're not, you're not teaching, as Jesus said, those to observe what, all that He's commanded. If you're not making disciples, then I don't know if we could call you a disciple. Because the point of being a disciple is that you then turn and make disciples. And it's, it's not something that is taught a lot these days. But this is the way the Lord is bringing about the building of His church. Through discipleship. Um, okay, now look at their response. And I've just got a few notes here. Look at their response, both in 20 and in 22, it's almost identical. Immediately they left their nets, one left their nets and followed him, the other left their boat and their father and followed him. Um, so here's, here's what we've got to understand and I think I'm, I might have touched this this morning. To follow Christ is costly. And that the cost of salvation and to be right with God is a free gift for us in the sense of Jesus paid it all. But to follow Christ typically will cost. Jesus did not shy away from this teaching. Many, many times he taught that there is a cost to follow Jesus. Now, I just want to look at one that will really kind of make you take a step back and think, really? So turn to Luke chapter 15. I'm sorry, 14. This verse has also been uh, a point of bad interpretation that led to bad living. Luke 14, verse 25. And if your heading of your Bible, if you have headings in your Bible, mine says the cost of discipleship. Luke 14, 25. Now great crowds accompanied him, Jesus, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me, so the idea is that, like he said, come after me, come follow me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple." Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me, follow me, cannot be my disciple. So then he gives us some illustrations. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not, sit, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to actually complete the building? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, 
saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war will not sit down to first deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So, here's what this doesn't mean. This doesn't mean that you can't get married. This doesn't mean that you can't love your mom and dad. This doesn't mean that you don't take care of your family. That's not what this is saying. People have used this to leave their wives and children. People have used this to seclude themselves from all things and all people. That's not what his intention is. And, you know, we say, well, he says that if anyone does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, well, that's just pretty straightforward. But notice how he finishes it, but even hates his own life. So the idea is that you are willing to give up all. That you do not love everything or anything more than Jesus. Because if you do, you're going to build part of the building and then you're going to be like, I'm not willing to go any further. Those who will not be willing to lose their family. Those who will be not willing to lose their life. Jesus says, you are not worthy. You cannot be my disciple. Now, how is this so blunt and straightforward? And it's simple. Because Jesus is worthy, is more worthy than your husband or wife. He is more worthy of your love than your children. He is more worthy than your breath of life. To not live tomorrow for the sake of Christ, for the sake of Christ, would be a blessing. Now that doesn't mean, we, just like we would not go and leave our family and say, I'm doing it for Jesus, we're not going to be self-imposed martyrs for Jesus. No. But be ready and willing. Now how, I love, as we turn back to Matthew, stop, go back to Matthew, but stop in Matthew 13. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time in it because I'm definitely going to spend a whole sermon on it one of these days. Matthew 13. This is a parable to help us think more about this. It's just one verse. It's a couple sentences, but just one verse. Matthew 13, 44. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has 
and buys that field. The treasure was so worthy, so valuable, that he was willing to give up everything so that he may obtain the treasure. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. Sold everything. And you think about Job. Job lost everything. But he had the Lord. Now, it took him a while to figure that out. And that's okay. That's life. We're not seeking perfection, but we're seeking a holy direction. We're seeking to become like Christ. We're not Christ. But on that way of becoming like Christ, by the power of the Spirit, by the working of the Word of God in our lives, we want to help others be like Christ. That's discipleship. As you are being made into the image of Christ, you are helping others being made into the image of Christ. And that's why John, that's why Jesus calls Peter and Andrew and um, James and John. And I, I, I'm going to stop, but I want to just say these instead of looking at them. Some marks of a disciple. And you can find this in John 8 and John 13. John 8 and John 13. The marks of a true disciple. One is they abide in the Word. And that word abide means like your home. You take residence in it. You find shelter in the Word. Jesus says, if you are my disciple, you will abide in my Word. It's no maybe. It's a definite. And he says, for those are my disciples, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And he also says in John 13, that they will know that you're my disciple because of your love for one another. Those are just three. So my hope and prayer is that we at Ozarks Bible Church, our church, who want to be a part of the Great Commission, who see that we have been called as Peter, Andrew, James, and John, maybe not to the full, not, not to do what they have done, but to be a part of the building of the kingdom of God. And when we do this together, it's for God's glory and it's for the good of one another. And it's a perfect design. He's designed it this way. And a church can't function without it. For churches to function without discipleship, it's just a bunch of, group, it's just a bunch of people gathering together, singing songs and listening to a person talk. They're not actually being disciples. They're not actually a church. But it's not easy. Being a fisherman back then was not an easy job. And he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. It takes time, it takes patience, it takes hard work, it takes learning, and it takes teamwork. 
to be disciples together. Let's pray. Lord, as you have called us, we pray that you will equip us. That in your grace, that you will guide us by your word, by your spirit. That we may be burdened for one another. That we may be burdened for the lost. Lord, that our lives would not just be mundane and separated from our time at church but that our lives would be all about Christ, that you would use us however you please. And Lord, as you call us separately to different things and that the cost may be different for for all of us, I pray that we will realize that your value is far more than the cost. And once again, I pray for this people in Bangladesh that they will know that the cost of following Christ is worth every penny. In the name of Jesus, amen. Pray you all have a blessed week.